and during some of the toughest times, I have a little piece of paper in my wallet that I keep all the time, even to this moment, uh, of different things that I that mean to me, different sayings that mean a lot to me, uh, things that I strive for, recognizing my responsibility to give back. Reoccurring mantra I got into in college where I would just say, I'm going to break the mold. Two days after my second injury, my dad flew out to Indiana and we drove home. Went right up to my room, slept for a day, and then I woke up the next morning, I spray-painted my wall. No quitting me. I remember, you know, there is no quitting me and I won't, you know, I won't give up. The number one thing you gotta remember is your transferring energy. And whatever energy you got is the energy the viewers are going to have. You are listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson, where we talk with experts of craft about their journey and what they have intentionally done to be their best self. As we talk with them, the hope is that we uncover intentional gems that you can use in your life. Now... Let's kick it over to Brian to introduce this week's guest. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Intentional Performers Podcast. I am Brian Levinson. Excited to have you with us for another great episode today. If this is your first time here, welcome. Glad to have you. Excited to chat with you and to chat with today's guest. But before we get to today's guest, I want to give you a little bit of an introduction into myself and what we're doing here at the podcast. So first of all, I work as a mental performance coach and an executive coach where I'm really fortunate I get to collaborate with teams and organizations on their mindset, on how they're showing up for their team, the culture they're building, their leadership. I love what I do for a living. I fired up this podcast to go deep with those types of people and share those conversations with you, the listener. If you enjoyed today's conversation, we'd really appreciate it if you go over to iTunes and write us a review. It really does help us expand our reach with the podcast and share these conversations. Share today's conversation with a friend. Send him a text with the link. Share it on social media, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook wherever it is your social. We are so grateful to have this community and it means the world to me when I hear from all of you about a episode that you enjoyed or that you are listening. So thank you for being here and thanks for listening. Now to today's guest. Coach Brandon Chambers is somebody who I ran into. Our paths collided years ago. We were both at Paul VI High School working with the boys basketball team there. And I just felt Brandon's energy from the moment I met him, the moment I saw how he operated on a basketball court. And we connected pretty quickly. And then we had a lot of in-depth conversations. I hosted a retreat for that team and really got to know Brandon on a personal level. And I just loved his story. I loved how passionate he was. I love how driven he is and he was back then. And he really was set on achieving his dreams and he knew he wanted to coach in the college realm. And today he's doing just that. He's an assistant coach with the men's basketball team at Texas Southern. Uh, Previously, he worked at the University of Nevada and helped them achieve great success in the NCAA tournament. Uh, Previous to that, he was at Paul VI. He will talk about his time at VCU, where he helped them go to the Final Four as a team manager when he was in undergrad. And he'll talk about coaching at the Division III level as well. So Brandon has played in a lot of different sandboxes in the coaching world over the last 10 years or so. And he is somebody who is a sponge. He is a lifelong learner. He's always trying to become 
become more. And we're going to talk about that in this conversation. And at Brandon's core, he's just trying to share knowledge, share wisdom, and build relationships with people. So he is absolutely an intentional performer. I know you're going to love this conversation. So without further ado, I'm so excited to present to you my friend and coach, Brandon Chambers. Brandon Chambers, my guy, uh, we go way back, not way back, but sort of way back. Uh, we first met when you were coaching at Paul the Six High School in Fairfax, Virginia, right outside Washington, D.C., and I was really fortunate. I hit the jackpot in 2011. I reached out to the head coach there, Glenn Ferrello, and said, hey, you know, I'm finished up grad school and uh, did some internships with some high school basketball teams and uh, would love to chat with you. And he's like, oh, I'm all in. Like, let's do it. How do we set it up? Uh, and uh, came into that program at a time where, I mean, they, I walked into the gym and there were 10 Division One kids that were dunking. Uh, and they just had a great group of kids, talented group of kids. And, and more importantly, Glenn, and we were talking about this before we hit the record button, uh, Glenn's mantra that he uses at Paul the Six is share the game. And so for those that don't know Glenn, he's built uh, with, with help from others as well, a, a top 25 national program every year. They're in the top 25 pretty much. And um, he is known for having the largest coaching staffs um, of most high school teams. He just brings in people that want to pour their spirits and their souls into high school kids. And so I think that's one of the reasons that both of us got opportunities to work alongside Glenn and Glenn's mantra share the game is like, if you've got something to share with our kids, we want you to be around here. Uh, and then we're going to share the game with the community. We're going to share the game with the parents. We're going to share the game with our city. Um, and it's really a pretty amazing culture that he's built. And I know we've both been benefactors of that culture. So I want to thank Glenn for bringing the two of us together. Uh, it's really a testament to him. And I'm really excited to chat with you about your journey up until the time you got to Paul the Six and what you've been up to since. Um, so start there. Give us an idea of what you were doing up until Paul the Sixth. Uh, give us an idea of what childhood was like for you. Um, and then we'll riff and have fun and, and chat. And I know this is going to be a fun conversation that's going to be wide ranging. Yeah, no, Brian, I appreciate you having me on. Um, and I'm a little disappointed because I thought that was going to go a different direction. I thought you were going to say you hit the jackpot when you, when you met me. But, you know, I'll, uh, I'll let it pass because Coach Farrell is a good dude. He's a good dude. And, and it was big time for, for both of us to, uh, to link up on that staff. You know, Brandon, when, when you hit the jackpot, you get a lot of stuff that gets dispensed. So there are all okay. kinds of coins. Everybody wins. <laughs> so the jackpot, I think, was, was Glenn. And then from there, yeah, there's been amazing people. And then I think there's more, more, more jackpots. It builds, it builds on itself. Anyway, give us an idea Absolutely. of what life, what life was like for you as a kid. Yeah. So, uh, so for me, you know, I grew up, dad was in, in the military for 27 years. So we, we bounced around quite a bit. And, uh, you know, every two, three years you're moving. I was actually born overseas in Vicenza, Italy. I uh, lived there for a good portion of my younger life. Uh, what age is Brandon? So I was basically there till I was about six or seven. My younger brother was born there as well. Uh, he was stationed in Vicenza for, you know, two or three years. We moved back and then we, he actually got restationed there. Uh, he was stationed in uh, Germany at one point for a short period of time. Uh, I think I've lived in in my childhood alone, uh, nine different states and three different countries. So, uh, you know, I, I, we bounced around quite a bit. Uh, when I was in high school, that's kind of when it started to, because when you're a kid, you don't really know 
you know what's going on you just know you're moving and you get to meet new people and make new friends and you know it's all fun but when you get to high school you're kind of settled in and uh want to be a little bit more stationary and keep your foundation of friends and uh so but i actually ended up going to uh four different high schools as well just just because of you know the military and you know how things operate and so we started in northern virginia uh it's you know right around the middle school late elementary schools where i picked up playing basketball and it was kind of the perfect sport for a guy like me that that moved a lot because it's not it's unlike football or baseball where you need other people to uh you know to go out and, and play a game or or you know train whatever it might be and in basketball you can just get a a basketball and, and a hoop and you can shoot for hours or you know and do your thing and hey brandon i want to just go go before you jump into basketball so i want to yeah. get a little more in depth as far as what life was like for you moving around so your younger brother how much younger is he so i have three brothers one's older uh he was born two years older uh the young my the one beneath me is uh two years younger and then i have uh another brother that is five years uh younger than than me um and then i have, actually have a younger sister who is entering her sophomore year in, in college. So she's 10 years younger than me. Uh, so it's four boys and, and one girl. So when the four of you are moving around place to place, how are you guys supporting each other? Are you fighting a lot? I mean, four boys in a house is, uh, yeah, is, no is it interesting. Well, it's an interesting dynamic because I am very unlike my older brother. And to be quite honest, and I tell him this uh, all the time, my competitiveness came from him uh, he was the kind of, like, we'd go out and play. We always played two-on-two -two football. My dad was the all-time quarterback. Uh, it was always me and him matched up against each other. Uh, and then I was always with my youngest brother, Zach. Um, and Josh, the brother below me, he was always with Jay. And so it was, you know, it was kind of always, I was always toe-to-toe -to -toe with the eldest. And, uh, you know, but he's very different. He's introverted. He's uh, a little quieter, but he had this kind of competitiveness and drive and didn't like to lose. Like he's that kind of guy. Like if we got in a fight, uh, he, he wouldn't, he wouldn't stop fighting until like he won uh, kind of guy. Like, you know, you know, it's, you know, boys will be boys, you know, you, you, you know, you're playing a game and all of a sudden it turns into a huge argument and then you're wrestling around, you know, when you're younger. And, um, but you know, I just, that's where I kind of learned my competitiveness and, uh, and then, you know, with my younger brothers, I'm actually most like my, the youngest Zach, um, and my brother, Josh is more like my older brother. So it's kind of interesting with that dynamic. Um, but we were always very close, uh, just because of, you know, when you move around, you, you have to meet, you know, new friends. And sometimes that's not always the easiest. And sometimes it's, you know, a little easier to, you know, just grab your brother and, you know, go play hoops or go out and you know do whatever it might be. I've talked to military, I'm going to call them brats just because that's what they're called, um, who have said that that moving around has helped them be able to be a chameleon when they're in different environments and be able to blend in and figure out how to navigate groups. Is that something you felt like you learned? Did your brothers learn that? Um, is there any residue from that experience of moving around and having to make friends? Yeah, no doubt. I think the, the, for all of us, it gives you the opportunity to 
when you're in your kind of developmental years, when you're figuring out cognitive and emotional uh, development as a kid, uh, you, you learn that, you know, you, you almost learn that by a simulation of just being in that situation where, you know, one year as a freshman in high school, you're in one school and then the next school, you know, next school year, you're jumping into another school and, um, you know, it's, you know, we all played sports. So it's like, then you're a freshman on the freshman team at, you know, this school playing football or basketball, and then you get into another school and you're now playing JV or varsity at another school. And, um, you almost, you just kind of, you get thrown into the fire. Uh, and I think I was very fortunate that, that I had that background. Um, whereas other kids, you know, and there's positives and, and negatives to both that they would, you know, they may have, might have a stronger foundation because they were able to stay in one place and develop a group of friends and kind of grow with them. Uh, but then they lack those kind of social skills where they're thrown into different environments and uh, different places and have to kind of find their way uh, and develop those skills. Where for me, I had to develop those skills I you know, moved around quite a bit. But then at the same time, I didn't really have that foundation of friends where just because I was moving all the time. Um, so most definitely. Tell me about mom. Cause, uh, you mentioned dad was in the military. What was mom like? And would love to learn a little more about your dad as well as you talk about your parents. Yeah. So we, we actually come from an Italian family and like most Italians were families based in North Jersey. So, uh, mom was always great around the house. Uh, and I don't mean that in a negative or a, uh, you know, in any sort of way towards women. It just, that's the Italian culture was that mom always took care of the house and, you know, just made sure all the boys were ready for school. And, and with my dad's job, because you're moving around so much and to her credit, she put her career and she's extremely smart. She college educated, uh, but because of the situation, because of having five children, she had to sacrifice her career for the development of and, and just the care of her children. And so for us, you know, we, we, I, I tell her she's the strongest woman I know because she was always there. She was always, uh, there to, uh, help us whenever we need it. She was always there for advice, sometimes hard advice. Uh, cause she, you know, not, not every day was perfect. And dad was, you know, either deployed or, uh, you know, at work, um, you know, and so she was, she was amazing. Um, like I said, I, I, I tell her now more, but she was the strongest person I know. And, and more importantly, you know, and, and you know this, but I don't know if your listeners know this just from, you know, if they do know me, you know, my dad got sick, you know, he had ALS and was diagnosed in February, 2006 and passed away in uh, April, 2010. And she was his primary caretaker. So not only was she raising you know, five children and helping, you know, she was there every day, helped us, you know, get ready in the morning, uh, made breakfast. Uh, if we needed to get picked up from school, if we needed to go somewhere to practice, whatever it might be. But then now she also takes on this task of being the primary caretaker for someone with ALS. And it's a, at, at a point it gets to an everyday process where, um, you know, my dad, in the later years, the last couple of years was immobile and you, you need literally 24 hour, seven day a week care. Uh, so she took that on as well. And, uh, you know, she did it with flying colors and, 
uh, it's amazing, you know. What were the values that mom passed down to you? I think just hard work and sacrifice. I think just seeing her on a day-to-day, I mentioned, you know, she sacrificed her career, but she also sacrificed uh, friends and, uh, you know, she just invested and poured all of her time and energy into her family. And to see that on a day-to-day basis and, you know, again, too, I, I mentioned the Italian culture. It's the same thing with my grandma. She's the same way. She, you know, my Nana, those, you know, they're just, they're so uh, invested into their families and they, they pour so much into them that they sacrifice a lot. And, you know, it's, I don't take that for granted. And how about the values that dad passed down to you? Uh, I think the, the biggest thing for him is just the discipline of how you approach every day. And, you know, he was honestly one of the, the, I learned more about him now than I do when he was alive. Um, which is, I, I would say it's a backwards way to look at it because, you know, you're with somebody for, you know, I was 20 years old when he, when he passed away, uh, and you're with someone every day and you see the things he does. You know, he was every morning he was up at 5.00 AM, you know, they, in the military, you have PT in the morning. Uh, he did it with his troops every day. Uh, he was an army ranger. He was airborne, uh, full bird colonel. When he actually got diagnosed, he was just promoted to a brigade commander. And he actually, we we're at Fort Jackson, South Carolina, and he was being a brigade commander. You actually run part of the base. So, uh, the infantry section where they did the training, that was his section of the base that he ran. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it just, he just his discipline every day to do, to, to pour into his career. Um, you know, it's something that I've taken with me. Uh, my fiance tells me all the time that she says that I love to work and, uh, it's a balance that I'm trying to find, but it's, you know, I, I saw my, my dad every day, get up at five o'clock in the morning and pour into his troops and, um, just was this awesome leader. And for me, it's, you know, it's one of my mantras in life uh, is just make dad proud, you know, just hopefully I can leave the type of legacy that he had with his career. When you talk about your dad, where do you feel it in your body? Um, I mean, there's definitely, it's to the core, you know, it's, you know, I, I have a lot of love and, and passion with him, uh, just the memory of him. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of a, obviously a tough deal to talk about. You know, we've talked about it before we had, you know, some retreats and, and whatnot, but um, you know, it's, it's to the core. And you said something about learning more after he passed. What did you learn about him after he was gone that perhaps you didn't see before? So two different things come to mind right away. You know, the biggest thing was, when he passed, you know, you, you have to go through this process of, you know, just, and it's, it's tough. You got to go through his belongings and you got to figure out estates and all that stuff. So we're going through his military uh, uniforms and we open up this box, the whole, I mean, it's, you have the entire family there. Uh, you know, you're trying to get everything organized and whatnot. And we opened up this box and my mom pulls out his uniform and we're, you know, he has all his medals and badges and, uh, you know, at, you know, awards, whatever it might be. Uh, and in one of the pockets was a ruler and 
I didn't think anything of it. I thought it was kind of weird to have a ruler in your, your uniform pocket, but, uh, you know, she was, she just starts breaking and she broke down and cried. And so obviously we're all kind of confused and it's, you know, it's a, a emotional time as a family. So we're, you know, trying to console our mom and she just, you know, she just said like, your dad was so, he loved his country so much that he, on a day-to-day basis, and this goes to the, the discipline uh, aspect, but on a day-to-day basis, he wanted to make sure that his uniform was perfect. And so he measured every day to make sure, because they have specifications on the, on the, you know, the U.S. Army uh, uniforms um, that, you know, that everything is supposed to be in a very, very specific place. And you learn it in basic training, uh, but he carried it throughout, you know, that's just how much pride he had in his country and his job. Um, you know, and, and then another thing was he talked about, and he wrote a book called Lead from the Front. Um, and it was a military book uh, on terrorism um, and how that we had to be the country that led from the front with the battle and the war against terrorism. And it was just a mantra that he had his entire career. Uh, when he joined the military, he was infantry. Um, and for him, that was important because he wanted to feel like, uh, you know, cause infantry is not a glamorous position, uh, when you join, um, you know, it's, it's a very basic and broad, uh, deal. And, you know, he had a college degree when he joined, he could have done basically anything he wanted to do, but his deal was he wanted to, uh, he knew that the military was going to be his career and he wanted to feel like, uh, you know, he wanted to lead from the front. He wanted to feel, make sure he knew his soldiers knew uh, he had been in their shoes and that he built some sweat equity with them. I want to do a little exercise with you. Um, and so you just have to stay with me on this, but when you were 10 years old, go back to being 10 years old. How did you see your dad as a 10 year old? It's crazy because it's like, like I said before, I learned more about him now than back then. It's you just, he was a military guy, you know, he just, he, he just, every day he was in the office, he was dressed in fatigues and, and, um, you know, we lived on military bases, you know, it's, if you name a military base on the East coast, I probably lived there. Um, that's kind of all you knew, you know, um, when he came to your games or when, whenever you went somewhere, he was in military gear. Uh, you know, it's kind of just what you knew him as, you know? And then when you were 20, which is right around, it sounds like when, when he passed, um, how did you see him similar, different? Different because of the state that he was in, um, you know, he needed full-time care and, you know, it was, a it was a situation where, you know, like as he, when he got to the point before he passed, you know, you'd sit with him and, you know, he couldn't talk, but he had a ability to communicate through a computer. Um, and just what he would say was, it was more about life, you know, where for whatever reason, you know, growing up, you just never really, you never really had those conversations, you know, not in a negative way, just, you know, um, just, I guess, because, you know, he's busy with his job and, you know, he, he got deployed to, to Desert Storm twice. You know, it's, you can't really 
have the birds and the bees conversation if you're across the, the world in a different country. Um, or, uh, you know, you can't really talk about, you know, if, you know, if I'll give you an example in sports, you know, like if I wasn't happy with playing time, you know, I can't really just sit down with him and, and, and say, okay, dad, I, you know, I, I think the coach should be playing me more, you know? And, um, so, you know, when he got sick and, and as he kind of slowed down and, and his movement was a little, uh, I guess, slower and, and, you know, life moved a little slower. He, uh, it was more of a, you learn life lessons and uh, you, you just, everything was a little bit more impactful, I guess. And I don't know how old you are now, but let's go to 30. I think you might be right around there. I'm doing math in my head. Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> so, so now at this age, how do you see him? By the way, 30 is defined by my fiance is very old. <laughs> it's not. <So. laughs> it's very young, but yeah. <laughs> but tell me, like, how do, how do you see him now compared to how you saw him at 20? Like I said, I, you know, I've learned more about him now than, than, you know, back then. And, uh, it's crazy because like I'll meet people that knew him and they'll tell me stories. And, uh, I just, I just, you know, for me, it's, I just want to withhold his legacy, you know? Um, I don't know how else to put it, but, you know, again, too, like when you're growing up and you're, the military is a brutal, brutal job. Um, the, it, it's actually similar to coaching in a lot of ways, but you move every two, three years. And um, I think it's hard on your family. Uh, so now it's like, now that I have a chance to reflect and do that introspection and really dissect, you know, and hear from other people who he is, um, I just, I hold him in the highest regard, you know, guy that spent 27 years, you know, serving his country and everything from, you know, and we, like I said, we had to make sacrifices as a family, everything from his day to day to his yearly to his life was, uh, devoted to the United States army. You mentioned the ruler and waking up at 5am. Those are intentional acts that he would do to be disciplined, to respect something that he was proud of, to lead from the front, as you were saying earlier. What are uh, actions that you take in your life that uh, perhaps were learned from him or perhaps you've learned on your own, but what are some actions that you take to try to be your best self? Uh, so, and I can kind of try to relate it to him a little bit, but you know, the, the biggest thing is now I wake up really early. I was never an early waker. Uh, I, I hated, I love to sleep back in the day, but now I, I try to wake up every day, not at 5 a.m., but, uh, you know, 5.30 to 5.45, uh, get an early start to my day, uh, try to uh, get a workout in just to kind of get my mind right and uh, just get a, a, a great start to the day. Um, I always read. Uh, whether it be every day I read a daily devotional from the Bible and some scripture, um, big quotes guy. So I start my day with a, a quote. My dad was a big quotes guy as well. Um, I actually uh, have his uh, quotes book that he, he had when he was, uh, when he was, uh, you know, it was in his bookshelf and I just kind of snagged it because it's something that, that for me, I'm passionate about. I try to find some inspiration every day. For those, for those, so since everyone's gonna be listening to this and they can't see it, Brandon actually pulled out the book that 
It sounded like it's you're... beat up too. Yeah. It's it's I'm actually have a paper clip on it to hold the front page on. Um, yeah. But I try to go through everything. It's kind of organized in categories and whatnot. But I have my own quotes file. Uh, it's probably about 60 pages long. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of, you know, stuff that I, I try to do to get myself mentally prepared and, and I guess intentionally prepared for the day and, and juiced up and ready to go. And, and then, uh, you know, something, you know, like kind of revolving around my dad, you know, his thing was lead from the front. And so, you know, for me, I just try to do as much as I can to pour into our guys and, you know, just really, you know, if, if it's, you know, going to be, whether we're in a, a, a skill session or practice, you know, I try to build some sweat equity with those guys and, you know, whatever I'm asking them to do or whatever, you know, our, our head coach, Johnny Jones is asking them to do, I'll jump in, um, you know, and, and just try to try to show them that, you know, this is a, a we thing, it's togetherness and uh, just build that culture. Um, and, you know, I try to end each day. Uh, it's something that I picked up uh, more recently within the past couple of years, I try to end each day and just write down and journal, uh, my thoughts. Uh, it's a way for me to number one, remember the day and remember what happened and the emotions, feelings, situations, uh, that happened, but then also, uh, something that, that I've tried to grow with is really compartmentalizing different things and, and being able to categorize it and, uh, you know, like not necessarily let it spill over into, you know, maybe I had a tough day at work where something happened with a player, uh, really being able to separate that with my relationship with, you know, when I go home with my fiance or with my family um, and, and separate the two, but then also keep both present and understand the dynamics of each. Um, so it's been a great way for me to kind of you know, self-reflect. Um, so I try to do that every day as well. And then, you know, over two or three weeks, I'll go back and kind of take notes on those days and maybe where things are at or where I need to improve, where I can get better. You mentioned a devotional earlier. How does faith play a role in, in your life? It's been a, I think everyone's journey with, with faith is, uh, you know, it's personal. Um, for me, you know, I grew up Catholic. We went to church uh, religiously. I mean, not to be ironic, but uh, like it, it, when you're in the military, you know, dad's up early, five o'clock in the morning. So you're going to church at seven or eight in the morning every Sunday and you go back for Catholic school. Uh, we called it CCD. And then, you know, you're, the Catholic church is pretty stringent. Um, you know, and when he got sick, I, I, you know, I'm ashamed to say, but I, I lost faith a little bit. And uh, just because I felt uh, there was a lot of things, but the biggest thing was I felt victimized in a lot of ways, you know, like why me, um, which is, is not right. It's not the right way to go about things, but uh, you know, I was victimized and I had this victimized sense Well, the world owes me. And um, if God was real, he wouldn't have done this. Um, but I've kind of redeveloped over the last few years that um, just with some people that I've met, and how they've get, been able to give me perspective. Um, so regardless of if you believe in the Bible or whatever your religion might be, uh, the scripture, um, I just think there's so many powerful lessons um, 
that you can learn. And one of the things that, that I do is I just try to read a scripture. Uh, and, you know, it might be one or two sentences long. Sometimes it's an entire Psalm and just learn from it and grow from it. And the devotional that I have is great because it kind of breaks it down as it's a coach's one. And so it kind of breaks it down as, as a coach would see it. Um, maybe it's coaching a team, maybe it's internally an introspection kind of deal. Um, but it just kind of gets my mind right. And at the end of it, you know, it kind of has some notes and asks some very pointed questions. And I try to do my best to every day, just answer those, whether it be on paper or uh, just mentally and kind of just get my, my mind mindset, right. Ready for the day. You mentioned victimhood and just yesterday I was on a college campus and I met with like 12 student athletes and, you know, conversations are wide ranging as far as what they're going through. But with at least a couple of them, I, I walked them through this simple framework, which is um, when something bad happens, uh, our first reaction is often to be a victim. Like why me? And I think that's necessary and healthy, especially when someone is going through something as tragic as ALS. Um, and I think we often have to start at that place and ask that question and there might not be an answer, but um, I don't think that's necessarily bad. I think the issue occurs when you stay in that space um, and you don't shift. So uh, the framework's really simple and I'll just share it with our listeners. So a victim says, why me? Uh, that's okay. Like you can be in that space, especially if something bad happens. It's, as I said, if you just gloss over that, um, you potentially might have some bigger issues down the road. Um, and then the next one is a survivor. A survivor, a survivor says it is what it is. There's acceptance. Like you don't have to like it. Uh, I'm sure you wish your dad was still here. Um, you know, but it is what it is. It's, it's a part of the human experience and it happened and acknowledging that it, it's a truth. Um, you know, not being in denial as far as what happened. Uh, and then the third one is thriver. And a thriver says, watch this, watch what I'm going to do. Um, and they take that traumatic experience and they grow from it and they potentially leverage it. Uh, and they are empowered by it. And as I'm listening to you talk, I, I can hear like I potentially was a victim and then there was some acceptance and I sort of made my peace with it. And, and now as I have this quote dictionary by my desk and I think about my dad and I've learned a lot of lessons from him. I'm actually using and, and learning from it and growing and um, changing how I wake up in the morning and, and honoring his legacy to say, all right, now I'm going to thrive and watch what I'm going to do. And the goal for every human being should be to thrive. Um, I don't think any of us should settle for victim and I don't think any of us want to just be in survivor mode at all times. However, there is a time when we do have to be in those other places um, and we shouldn't be ashamed of being in victim mode or being in survivor mode. They're necessary. And um, the vision and the goalposts should always be toward Thriver. And um, I don't think as human beings, we should ever just settle for victim or survivor. I think um, we all have the capacity and the ability and the capability to get into, all right, watch what I'm going to do. Like, all right, let's go. Let's, let's make something of it. So um, as I'm listening to you, that that was what was coming up in my mind. And um, I think we all, if we live long enough, we'll go through things that suck and go through things that are shitty. Um, and if we can learn to 
step into that victim space and then intentionally step into the survivor space. And then man, oh man, if you can step into that thriver space, I think that's where a lot of really amazing things happen in this world. Yeah, no, I mean, you hit it on the head. So for me, and we've kind of talked about it before, um, you know, when I was, so my dad gets sick. I have no idea what ALS is. Um, you know, I can remember the first night I Googled it and the, literally the first thing that came up was, if you're reading this, uh, just know that uh, ALS is something that people deal with and there's no cure. And it was like, what? Like, you know, the, hey, there's no cure for it. So I just, it, I mean, I'm sitting there at 1130 at night in my room reading this on a computer, like, holy cow, like my dad's going to die. Um, and then, you know, it just, it, it kind of spiraled and you know a little bit more about my personal life than, than most. And it was a, it was a tough thing. I wouldn't say that I became a survivor until once I graduated college. And then I didn't really start driving until a year or two after that. Um, for me, you know, I, I had this victimized personality where, um, you know, again, too, I felt like the world owed me. I felt like, why me? And, and, uh, you know, and so I, when I was going through that process in high school, I just, you know, he got medically retired and we had to move back to Northern Virginia. And, you know, you going into your senior year, you kind of just want to be a normal kid. And the unfortunate thing is that the social pressures of today's society and how that our society is shaped as a kid, you know, I just wanted to find a group of friends that, you know, accepted me. It was a little tougher. And, um, you know, I, I just ended up hanging out with the wrong dudes and, got in some trouble. I uh, actually got kicked out of school. Uh, the worst part was, you know, it, it was disappointing my dad, but then uh, again, too, just my attitude, my, my perception and lens on life and my attitude, it just kept hindering my growth and the success that I wanted to have. And then I got kicked out of my house and it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because like you said, you hit rock bottom and it's, it's, you just, you have this uh, I guess this learning experience and this growth experience where, you know, for me, you know, I, I get kicked out of high school, you know, I wasn't able to, for a little over a year, you know, my dad is sick. It's the last few years of his life. And I wasn't allowed to, to go spend time with him. You know, I just was it's that bad of a, of an influence and that, you know, I was making such poor decisions. You know, I never did drugs or alcohol or any of that. I just, uh, just hung out with the wrong dudes and, um, you know, it just wasn't, wasn't a good situation. So I was actually homeless for a couple of weeks and I was fortunate that my uncle took me in and, you know, it was a, it was a tough deal. You know, I had to take a public transportation bus to another bus, uh, to a Metro, get off in the Metro, take another bus. It was a two and a half hour drive into ride into school to finish out high school. And then, you know, I ended up going to college and I was okay in college, but it, you know, I wasn't really hitting my stride still kind of had this, uh, attitude of, um, arrogance and, and, you know, I, again, felt like the world owed me. And, uh, but during those, those years, there was this growth process of you, you know, the world doesn't owe you anything. Like you think you're significant. You think that, uh, you know, you want to try to impact other people and you want to try to leave a legacy. But at the end of the day, like you have to do that on a day-to-day -day basis and, and it's a grind and it's, you know, it's, 
it's it's tough and life sucks and life's tough and then there's gonna like you said there's gonna be bad days but uh, it doesn't owe you anything you know you have to earn everything that you get in this life and it was tough for me to go through that growth process because um i had to learn some hard life lessons some hard personal lessons uh, i ended up you know joining the vcu basketball team as a student manager uh, i tell those guys all the time that i was learning from them even without them having to teach me just by seeing how they operated, seeing what they did on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, I was fortunate that Shaka Smart was the, the head coach and he's an unbelievable human being. Uh, he's one of the best leaders that I've ever been around. Uh, the, the staff that, that we had in place, Mike Rhodes, Mike Jones, uh, Will Wade, Kyle Getter, Mike Begeese, like all those guys are really, really good human beings. And I got to see on a day-to-day -day basis how they went about, you know, their deal and, and how they treated their players. And to be quite honest, that's why I got into coaching is because of that mentoring aspect. Um, because I felt like in a lot of ways, the players that we had there, um, you know, like I was in a situation where, you know, there were some, some similarities and, you know, I saw how they poured into guys and I just, it just clicked and that's what I wanted to do. And, Again, it wasn't until a year or two after I, you know, I was actually into coaching. You know, we went to a Final Four my senior year as a student manager, and I couldn't get a job. You know, it's like, it's the, you know, it's again, it's like the real awakening of like, holy crap, this is hard. Like, they don't owe you anything. Just because you went to a Final Four as a student, that doesn't mean anything. You know, you got to earn it. So, you know, I coached Division Three for four years, which was, ended up being an unbelievable deal for me to get on the road and recruit and get on the floor and learn so quickly in my career and the guys that I worked for Trevor Woodruff who's now the head coach at Bucknell University for the women's team uh, and, and Chris Roger Chris Rogers who's at Marymount University uh, those two guys were unbelievable in my growth process and um, you know I just I just got to a point where it just started snowballing in the right direction and uh, just started meeting the right people and you know, and now I'm now I'm at where I'm at, and and no by and by no means um, am, do I feel like I've arrived. I think that's also part of the deal. Like you know, you go into uh, surviving and then thriving. I think part of thriving is also knowing that that you've never arrived. You know, it's you always have that goal in mind, and you if you reach that goal or you attain that goal, then you set a higher goal. Um, and to be quite honest, if you reach it or attain it, it probably wasn't high enough. Um, and so for me, it's, you know, I have my own, you know, dreams and aspirations and goals and, and whatnot. But, um, you know, I, you know, I, I heard a, 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 a video uh, a few years back and JJ Reddick said he's always becoming, you know, it's just this continual growth process, you know. And so for me, it's every day a, a grind of just trying to do the best job I can and work on myself and my personal and, and career development and then also pour into the guys that I'm fortunate enough to coach and mentor. Um, and then I'm, I'm just, you know, I, I know it's the formula for success. I just know that if I continue to do what I do, uh, you know, I'll have success in life. And that doesn't mean success isn't defined by I'll be the next head coach of Duke or UNC. Like those are all great things and the exposure there gives you a platform to do more but success could be I mean as you know coach Forello is one of the most successful human beings that 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 we know is a 
you know, just through this business and he's an unbelievable person. Um, but you know, he, he's, if you were to ask someone on the West coast who Glenn Farella was, they may not know who he is, even though he's one of the most successful high school coaches in the country, you know, but the impact that he's had on people's life, uh, lives and, and his players' lives and how he's been able to help, uh, get players to college and change, you know, their, their direction of their life. I mean, you can't argue that he's not successful. So for me, that's just kind of my deal. And, you know, just like I said, I think after you, you know, are part of the thriving aspect is also knowing that you're always becoming, you know, it's your, there, the destination has never arrived. You know, it's all about the process and you can't really think about the product. Yeah, it's it's a very American concept to just keep becoming. Um, I'm sure your dad had some perfectionism. It sounds like, hey, keep striving to get better. You're you're never. You've, it doesn't matter what you've done in the past. You always can improve and be a lifelong learner and continue to strive. One of the things that I'm not struggling with, but thinking a lot about these days, is this idea of being and becoming, and also giving ourselves permission to be, and. Um, you know, being is a much more Eastern concept, right? Buddhism, monks, uh, you know, they, they be, they, they meditate. They, mm -hmm. you know, I, I meditated in Cambodia with these Buddhist monks up on a mountain and they just sit there and they be. Uh, and there's something really peaceful about that inner work and being. And so like when I hear the word grind, I cringe a little bit. And you said it like maybe three times <laughs> in the last 30 or 40 minutes because I do hear it with military. I do hear it with coaches. I do hear it with surgeons. I hear it with athletes, um, with executives, uh, tech startups. Like we just need to grind, 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 grind. And I think there's also space to be. And um, it's just an important concept and uh, construct, especially for Americans to grab their head around, because I think we definitely value the becoming and I definitely value the becoming a lot of this podcast and why I'm doing it is about becoming. And I believe in polarity. So I believe in and instead of or, and the idea that we can become and we can be. And I think the big question is, where do you want to start? Do you want to start from a place of becoming and then be, or do you want to start from a place of being and then become? And so I think historically, especially you know, our grandparents' generation, um, they would work, 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 and then retire, right? And so become, 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 so then you can be. And I think what's starting to happen uh, for generations that are coming up is like, no, 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 I don't want to just become and grind and grind. I also want to be. Like, I also want to meditate or go on vacation or be home to see my family. And it's a privilege to be in that opportunity and in that space to be. Um, but it's also something if you're intentional, you can find time to just be. And so for me, at least that's something that I'm working with and thinking a lot about that as I'm becoming, I don't want to become at the expense of the being. And, um, and I don't know if that resonates with you or, or something that you think about. It does. We actually, when, I, when we were at Paul the Six, we did the retreat, the coaches retreat, and you actually said a quote and I'll give you credit for it. Cause I don't know where it came from. But uh, it was uh, be where your feet are. And uh, that really resonated with me. And you kind of hit on it about, you know, our, our parents and their parents. And it was, you know, this work, 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 retire um, kind of deal. 
And for me, something that I've really struggled with, something I've put a lot of thought into is uh, the just being and enjoying and being in, being where your feet are, enjoying the moment, enjoying, uh, you know, just the process of, of, you know, like I just took a new job. I'm an assistant coach at Texas Southern and, you know, it's, it, don't worry about then tomorrow or yesterday, just be where you are right now. And um, it's something that I've put a lot of thought into. And uh, I try to really be uh, intentional about spending time enjoying now because I feel like, and not that it was to the extent where I was always looking for the next job, but those years coaching division three, I appreciate them now more um, or the five years that I coached AAU while I was doing that. I appreciate those now, but um, you know, I, I don't know if I really allowed myself to enjoy the moments, the relationships, uh, and maybe I did, and maybe it's just lost in the self-reflection, but it's something that I've really tried to, uh, I guess, turn up and be less more focused on the future, but be more present with everything. And uh, I'll give you credit because that the be where your feet are was important, you know, just really grasping and, and taking in where you're at now and enjoying it. Yeah, I think I, the origins of that I've tried to figure out because it's definitely not my words. I think it might come from the Quran actually, which is pretty interesting. But um, I, I love this idea that we can hold two things. Like we can hold space for two things. And so I believe that you can have it all in this world. And I believe too many people settle. Um, and we should always be finding time and space to be while also becoming. And for me, when I have that right blend where my day is being and becoming, man, those days are, are just really fulfilling for me. And, um, I think the connection between the two is time. And I think the other connection in, within that is growth is that if you you kind of use the most uh, monotonous uh, and not in a negative way, like a monk, you know, that's who he is, it's what he does. But I still think within his life and with his, within his deal, there's a lot of growth. And that when he first started the process to give him, you know, wisdom and time, it only comes with time. And uh, I just think he's becoming, maybe not by knowing he's becoming, you know, um, but at the end of the day too, they're also trying to master uh, their thought and their, their you know, process um, as well. So um, I just think that time and growth are kind of the connectors in that uh, chain of thought. Awesome. So I think that's a great place for us to wind down. Brandon, I know you're big on, on social media. So tell people where they can find you on social media and anything else that you want to raise attention to. And uh, you've got a megaphone to just announce whatever it is you want to announce. I appreciate that. Uh, well, my social media is uh, Chambers Hoops on Twitter and Chambers BM on Instagram. Uh, you want to give our team a follow. That's uh, TSU Men's Hoops. That's on Instagram and, uh, and, and Twitter. Uh, yeah. And, uh, hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll have a good following and good base. And, uh, if you guys ever have any questions, feel free to reach out. Uh, I'm 
try to be as open of a book as possible if, um, you know, whatever it might be. And hopefully I'm tweeting out good content. Hopefully our team's tweeting out good t content and we have a great year. Awesome. And I'm on Twitter at Brian Levinson, Instagram, intentional underscore performers. And if you want to listen to any of these episodes, you can go to intentionalperformers.com. And if you enjoyed this conversation, go over to iTunes and write us a review. Brandon, my man, it's good to see you again. Uh, I'm excited to see what the season brings for you and the guys down there. And it's just been great watching your journey and watching you pursue your dreams and making your dreams come true. Uh, and for those that don't know Brandon, he brings this incredible energy to a basketball court. I remember when I first saw him at the gym at Paul VI, he just has a real passion for people and it comes across. And the kids, you can see, he mentioned relationships earlier in recruiting. I think another thing that Brandon does is he builds relationships with his players. Uh, and he genuinely, genuinely cares about them. And you can see it. And so I uh, look forward to continuing to see you in, in gyms all across the country. And, uh, uh, wishing you all the best on the upcoming season. Appreciate you, Brian. Thank you for listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson. Here is this week's episode gem. I love to sleep back in the day, but now I, I try to wake up every day, not at 5 a.m., but uh, you know, 5.30 to 5.45, uh, get an early start to my day. Uh, try to uh, get a workout in just to kind of get my mind right and uh, just get a, a, a great start to the day. Um, I always read, uh, whether it be every day I read a daily devotional from the Bible and some scripture, um, big quotes guy. So I start my day with a, a quote. My dad was a big quotes guy as well. Um, I actually uh, have his uh, quotes book that he, he had when he was, uh, when he was, uh, you know, it was in his bookshelf and I just kind of snagged it because it's something that, that for me I'm passionate about. I try to find some inspiration every day.